Welcome to the Fullcaster Podcast, Episode 7. Our guest today is Patrick Britton. Pat's been in the sport karting game for a while now, but uh, has also had some time in dirt carts, 206, as well as a stint ASA trucks. And now is a proprietor of Red Six Race Gear. Looking forward to uh, hearing a little bit more about the history of sport karting from him since he's been in it from the indoor days, but also a little bit more about that gig that he's got going on with his own biz. Uh, here in a little bit, we'll get him rolling. Um, as usual, current events here, Dirk. Um, not a lot's changed. Here we are. We're we're May seventh, no. same same day as we've we did the uh, the Matt Johnson episode as far as the the recording. Not a lot's changed here, um, but you know, mid of May. We should be seeing NASCAR racing going on, some different things yeah. going on. So we should be going racing eventually. I guess it, the question is going to be, what does that calendar look like a little bit? You know, let's just talk about the sport karting side. Mm-hmm. On the sport karting side, we run 10 races a year for the Sprint Series here at Cal Speed and the Super Series and Ironman right. uh, clinics and stuff like that. We, we do all that kind of stuff uh, throughout the year. It goes from January through um, end of October. Well, we've we have three sprint series down mm-hmm. and two supers two supers and uh, iron man which happens on the same day we've already talked about when we get going again what things could look like but i think what we might see or at least what we might have a, a better opportunity to do here with a little bit of a odd schedule is maybe do some some one-off events or some weird stuff yeah whether it be an enduro or something like that and i'll tell you one thing that i wouldn't mind bringing back around what is that the oval. The oval would be a lot of fun to have back. When we did the oval the first, we did the oval th- for three years. Right. 2014, 15, and 16. Actually, the oval is the first time that you worked out here. Very first time, yeah. Yeah, I think you were the flagger? Unfortunately, that was my first day here was, <laughs> was being a flagger, yeah. That was 15, I think, right? Because you yeah. did the oval did as 14. a driver the year before. That's right. Yeah. Well, well what's cool about the oval... On the old deals, we had it was Long Beach, and then it kind of you know long front stretch Long Beach, and then the the short shoot that heads towards Horseshoe here at Cal Speed, yeah, and then went on the like off surface, and then came Into back the, on the main inside street. of the track, yeah. We lengthened it, I want to say in fifteen. That's right. Um, and then we like we did diff- different things with like pit stops and stuff like that. The reason why I'm bringing up the oval is because we are in the month of May. Typically, mm-hmm. the oval would come on. Uh, the Labor Day weekend. Yeah. And it happened back when we had the Sprint Series at only eight races instead of 10. Right. When we expanded the Sprint Series, then we had weekends that, you know, used to be available or afternoons that used to be available. Now no they're longer. booked, yeah. yeah. So where I'm going with that is, let's just say, and I don't hope this at all, but let's just say that the calendar gets all effed up. Right. Maybe we don't get going when we want to get going. We got to do something different. And we got maybe, I don't know, scrap the calendar or do something different. And I kind of like the idea of doing some weird stuff. I think it'd be kind of neat. Um, yeah, fingers crossed that we're able to hold some of somewhat of a normal season. But, I mean, good part for us. And Cal's be lucky to have you and Rob that there's solid other plans in, in the works, too, you know, for whatever dates may come when we're able to open. But just kind of like how everyone's kind of, done the online racing and some other stuff, maybe they'll figure stuff, you know, racing out in this way. I think it'll be kind of neat to see that happen in real life too. We're already kind of seeing it right now with some schedules uh, changing and whatnot. But for us to come back and be like, okay, here's what we're going to do for the rest of the year. 
have some oddball thrown in. I think that'll be really fun for everyone. Yeah, I mean, if we don't, if we can't go back to a normal series, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that if if we can still run a normal championship for the most part, then that's what people are going to want to do. Yeah, you know, but if we can do something different, then I think you know, for instance, last year's All Star Race, and we had the um, uh, what do you call it, the Joker lap. Yes, and some different things that we've been playing around with for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I don't know, trying to do some stuff like that, just like playing around with some crap. That would be kind of interesting to do. Be um, something to uh, be a uh, time for us to experiment, for sure. Yeah, and actually, I mean, we were talking about the other day, uh, just you and I, and there's a lot of people, you know, like you said, you ran in 14 mm-hmm. on the oval, but then you started working in 15. There's a lot of people, like we talk about the grands, right? Yeah, that are here now that probably started racing here in 17. Well, if you started racing here in 17, then you've never done the oval. You never did grands. Yeah. You never did petite machismo. Yeah. None, none of, of those endurance. Four or six hours. All there are are the the super series, sprint series, Ironman that in in the machismo. Right. So all the like one off fun stuff that we did because we had availability. Mm-hmm. A lot of these newer drivers, if you will, or like the more recent ones, haven't got a chance trying to that stuff. It's a good problem, bad problem we have. I mean, with having such a packed calendar, I mean, it's good for business for sure. But on the selfish side, I think it's bad just because I love having those one-off events, you know, just something to change it up in the middle of the year. But we've been able to offer some other stuff we're doing the two hours towards the second half of the the Ironman season, which has been a lot of fun. Yeah, kind of a glimpse of something different. Yeah. A little bit. Kind of the same vein, but a little bit of a, you know, swing on on what it what it normally is. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's a, that'd be an opportunity for us to go play around with some stuff. I mean, unfortunately, we're still on a you know, wait and see. I mean, <sighs> we're recording this on May 7th, and it will go out the last, oh gosh, what would that be? May 26th or something like that. The last mm-hmm. Tuesday of May is when this is going to go out. So I think, I don't know if my math is right. That's either right after Memorial Day or right before. I think it's right after. I think the last... Monday is right beforehand. Yeah, it is after. Um, so that previous weekend would typically be where it is. But what's interesting is, so we just got done with what would be the biggest weekend in racing, typically. Yeah. You'd have the Coke 600 or whatever they call it now, the the long one, World 600. For NASCAR, you'd have Monaco mm-hmm. and you'd have uh, the Indy 500. Well, I don't know what they're doing for the, the 600. I don't know what they're doing for the for the Charlotte race. If that's happening or not, I haven't paid that close of attention. I know Monaco is not a thing, right? right? And Indy Five Hundred's gotten moved. They, they'll probably do a F one race or something. They've been playing around on the game quite a bit, but we'll, well see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, in real life, though. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, <laughs> what is typically the biggest racing weekend is now not. Yeah. And uh, again, we used to have our oval then, but we're not going to do that. We're not going to be even if we're open. You know, by the time we're recording this or whatever, it's. It's not going to happen that quickly, right? We won't do it that that way. But anyway, yeah. long story short, the sport karting gig, a lot of fun, um, different ideas, different things to try out. And when we get back to to racing again, which I'm really looking forward to doing, doing our Cal Speed Live gig, yeah, having people come through here and you know just get back Seeing into karting, in you know? track. because uh, we talk about competition karting and sport karting. It's karting, but man, two different families, two different groups sure. of people for sure. Um, and you know, one of the cats that, uh, is a prominent figure in sport karting, uh, he's former champ in the super series, um, and has been in this sport karting or if you will, arrive and drive game for a long time. Mm-hmm. He's our guest today. And 
Man, I'll tell you what, I think it's a good time to bring him on here. Let's come on over here, uh, Pat Britton. Britain, everybody. Thanks for uh, coming out and hanging out with us, bud. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, be here back at Cowspeed for the first time in what feels like years. Indeed. It's been about two months. But... You're a, uh, a former or current, uh, however you want to call it, podcaster. What, what do you think of the setup we got Once here? Upon I like it. It's similar to mine, but you have the fuzzies on the microphones, which we can never afford. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, this mean, is actually a dish sponge. I just cut up and zipped nice. it. Nice. <laughs> I understand. I understand that you guys would have a hard time paying for these. These I want. God, we we spared no expense on this. I mean, really, we wanted yeah. to have the audio really good. These are about three bucks each. Yeah, and that was after shipping. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm the next thing is the pop filter, so that when I say, it doesn't uh, that, go. That's literally what these are. Uh, well, those are usually like a screen. Like it looks like a tennis racket. You can do either. I'm just saying that. We, I was thinking a bug zapper. Oh, that, that, nice. That <laughs> Good sound effects are on here. All right. I hey. got in my left ear and in my right ear. This is a bad day. And we just set a record for losing ourselves out of the gate here on the uh, Full Caster podcast. That sounds like what I'm used to. Uh, Patrick Britton, though, you do bring that to the table because you're kind of a goofball. Uh, but what do you do on a uh, professional basis? On a day-to-day, we like to ask everybody who comes on the show, what is the occupation? Do you... How do you make your living? So I uh, work for a performance suspension company. Um, we make everything from sway bars to shocks to springs, control arms for old muscle cars, um, you know, across the board. But we also dabble in newer cars, um, you know, uh, you know, new Camaros, new Challengers, some imports here and there. We actually do a ton of Infinity sway bars. Um, and this but, isn't just straight line stuff. Here. No, this is handling. This is designed to be – it's designed to be – track day cars but that are also driven on the street so it's the dude that has his old chevelle but wants to make it so it can run with a new camaro but still be livable most of the cars are daily drivers what's that, that I mean, what's that like i mean correct me if i'm wrong but if you have a call it 70 chevelle or whatever that's usually going in a straight line on a drag strip so that's interesting you guys are doing it's handling stuff yeah so the pro touring is is really the phrase for it um, and that's really taken off the last few few years or more. Um, so there's a lot of folks that are getting those big boats to to turn. And coincidentally enough, the trick to that is by going full caster. And uh, see what I did there, Patrick yeah. Britton. <laughs> and that's the show. Thanks for listening. <laughs> so those old cars, they had old bias ply tires, and they ran like one degree of caster back then, if that. So now we're putting 13, 14 degrees of caster in these cars. You know, actually, that reminds me, uh, my. My dad was working as a um, working as he was the, the crew chief for a a buddy of his, a basically a high school friend. They had a, a, I want to say it was a nineteen seventy Chevelle, ironically, uh, that they would do at Portland Speedway. Mm. And he said those old Chevys and whatnot they weren't made to turn, and in fact they were made to almost not turn, and it was to try to keep things slower. It the the manufacturer Chevy and, and and other manufacturers built the front ends of those things to not turn so great stock to try to keep people from going too fast. So you try to make that thing into a limited sportsman stock car like they were trying to do in the late eighties early nineties. That thing was a bit of a bitch. So Very they had to kind make, of them. They had to do all <laughs> kinds of different things to try to get those to turn. Are you are you having to basically change the front end wholesale on those things to get them to turn the way you want? Yeah, I mean it's. 
at the end of the day, it's it's actually pretty simple. You just move the upper ball joint back. You make an upper A arm that moves the ball joint as far back as you can put it. So instead of it being straight, the A arm being here's two holes where it mounts to the frame and the ball joint's in the middle like a triangle, you put that upper ball joint so it's in line with that rear uh, mount basically, and it's like this offset. What is that? A, a right angle triangle or something? It's not an isosceles. I know that. Um, so you're, you're I always like that word isosceles. isosceles yeah. <laughs> Sounds like something from uh, old Igwiped or Egypt, if you will. <laughs> Igwiped. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> my, my dad. My dad used to call it. Yeah, he stuck it someplace like called Egwiped. <laughs> God. Um, I'm sorry, Patrick. Before you're rudely interrupted, <laughs> what were you saying? So that's, I mean, straight up, that's the biggest thing you can do on those old cars is get some caster into them. They'll drive straighter. They'll return God the center better. Mike. Mike's dying. Just dying. Kevin Smith. <laughs> Are we just saying names now? It's his dad. My dad, my dad. I, I don't, I don't know sure if this oh. is going to make the cup. I edit the whole thing out, but I would appreciate it, man. Yeah, your your pops or, or somebody in your life that can just like push a button and you start laughing. Oh, that was my dad the other day, man. <laughs> That's me, baby. <laughs> I have not oh, yeah. heard you pushing the wrong buttons, Patrick. <laughs> I have not heard my dad say egg wiped in <laughs> since I was probably a teenager. It just popped in my I head. I had no idea it was going to be Egypt. Yeah, Patrick and I were like, what the Think f-? about that. It makes sense, though, doesn't it? Like, I like my egg scrambled, uh, not white. <laughs> nice. My, my dad's wise beyond his years. <laughs> Anyways, I'm definitely editing all this out. This is garbage. Yeah. Since you're editing it, I mean, that's yeah. you know, that's my wife's favorite type of eggs are fertilized. But Oh, Ooh. that's definitely going out. We're trying to keep some kind of rating around here. <laughs> it's good Anyways. Comedy. Adult content. Uh, all right. Dot. I'm all strained now up here from laughing. Yeah, that <laughs> this happens. is not good. That We're happens. eight minutes in, my man. <laughs> yeah. You got a long way. You're to eight go. minutes in. I'm about three hours and eight minutes in. <laughs> you better get your second wind here. Um, no shit. So, uh, and, and again, I, I apologize for going off on a <laughs> on a rail there. It just golly. Are we back on course now, Captain uh, <laughs> Captain Phillips? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, so you work for the high performance joint. And you were telling us how the uh, that whole thing worked, which. Basically, nobody who listens to this show cares about. Um, <laughs> but but uh, all joking aside, yeah, so you, the, the suspension game and everything that you got going on on a daily, that's the usual. And it sounds like, uh, I mean, is that busy right now? Are, are there people buying suspension parts? It's it's unbelievable. Um, you, It kind of makes sense after you think about it, but it's it was definitely not something we expected. It's everybody's stuck at home. And what it is is a lot of folks have these parts that they're like, you know, everybody's heard the story of I've had this Camaro for 30 years and I'm going to restore it one day. And they're collecting parts. And now, they got the time. One day, huh? now they're installing those parts. Um, we're going to see car shows really bumping here in a couple months. Uh, uh, that actually makes a lot of sense, though. You got a little bit of downtime if you go out to the garage and mm-hmm. and all you see. Uh, you know, first person I think of is, is Sean Beer, mm-hmm. right? Our, our good buddy Sean, he's got the GTO. Which is actually not in disrepair of any kind, but it's it is a car that he has and it's in the garage the entire time. Yeah, and you go out to the garage for any reason, you look at that thing and just maybe you start sparking ideas of what could I do or if I had this or whatever. Right. What else are you gonna do? I mean, if you're a photographer right now, there's nothing really to photographer, 
right now. And uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> what else you, can, you got to work on something you right. know, for for Derek and I. It's been I racing for you. It's I'm assuming drinking beer or something. I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you, if you look at me, that's what it looks like. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, the high performance stuff. Uh, see how I just breezed past that joke. Uh, the high performance <laughs> stuff is not the only thing you're doing. You actually have your own business. Yeah. So Red Six Race Gear, something I started uh, beginning of last year. It started out as kind of a like any business, you have one aspiration for it, then you quickly realize that you have to pivot a little bit sometimes. Um, started out as kind of a retail carding shop for safety gear, suits, gloves, shoes, selling other people's stuff. Uh, quickly realized there is no money in that. None. If you're just selling other people's stuff, you are breaking even at best. You're lucky to pay your rent. It's got to come down to volume, I would say. And, yep, and I'm not going to compete with direct. They all do direct sales, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's the huge warehouses of the world. Everybody knows who they are. Um, not competing with them. Just can't do it. So I was barely keeping my doors open, just like cutting by every month, which everybody kept telling me, that's great. Like, you're not going into debt. That's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, okay, but we got to make a living off of it. Yeah, (laughs) I got to find an avenue here to make this work. So we started going down the custom gear route um, to be the affordable, but yet quality custom gear. We don't want to be the cheap where you're wearing pajamas or Mm -hmm. it looks cool, but it doesn't actually do anything. So we're trying to be the mid-range type of deal. Yeah, you can go get... You know, um, your custom OMP stuff, you can go get it from Freem or however that's pronounced, um, which the, if you want top stuff, you go to Freem. Like, mm-hmm. you want to spend $1,000 on a suit, I will send you there. You know, um, I can sell you their suits. But that's that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be, if hey, you're a dude that goes, maybe you're a sport carter, maybe you're a shifter carter at Cal Speed, maybe you're a scoozy guy that doesn't want to spend that kind of money, but you want to look good. Yeah. I got you. For 300 bucks. You can have a full custom suit that's going to protect you. You come out of that cart, yeah, you're going to need a new suit, but you're going to be be fine. The suit did its job. That's exactly right. People will say, well, like, hey, if I come out of the cart, like, am I going to need a new suit? I'm like, you should always replace all your gear you come out of the cart. Yeah. You know, like, um, there's one driver who I won't name out here who has a, who's still wearing a helmet that hit the ground a couple years ago and has a huge gouge missing out of it. But he doesn't want to replace it because it has custom paint on it that was really expensive. And I'm like, buddy, <laughs> you need a new helmet. Paint, just paint over it. He, he's he's <laughs> going to know who it is once I say this, stickers. but I don't care. He's He wears it on his motorcycle, too. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, come on, man. You're going to you're gonna hurt yourself if you if you go down again. Meanwhile, he's like, Patrick keeps trying to sell me a helmet. Right. I'm not buying it. And we're <laughs> like, yeah, and we're like, don't do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Hey, so what, what made you want to get into the, uh, the apparel? I actually remember... That, that a little bit on the, uh, the internet. It's when you were making that initial transition, trying to think about what you wanted to do from a, a previous uh, occupation, and it you came up with I'm going to become a business owner, uh, and it's going to be safety gear. How did that? How, how did you get to that step? So I used to work for HJC Helmets years and years and years ago, and um, it was something that I always thought about there. Is I'm like, hey, you know what? You know, I, I'm learning about the manufacturing side of things, and they make they're kind of that same niche in a way where they make a quality product, but it's not, you know, it's not the thousand dollar helmet. You can get a thousand dollar helmet from them, but that's not their bread and butter. And it's kind of like, Hey, Stilo is up here. Top tier helmet. You yes, don't, it is. Yes. And if you, if you want to very comfortable, the Stilo helmet and, actually. and they're Stilo's the stuff. If you want that nice helmet, go get a Stilo. And, but if you want a helmet, that's almost as comfortable, almost as light, just as safe. Cause all helmets are, passing the same safety standards, you go get an HJC, in my mind. You want to spend 350 on a helmet, that's where you A little go. more bang for the buck, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I see it is, you know, they're, 
they, so it's cheaper anyway. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah. That's all. That's all. I'm saying. It's it's one of those things where they coexist. I feel like, and that's the mm-hmm. way that I feel like is I'm kind of trying to be the HJC of custom custom gear. And so when I was there, I was like, I kept thinking like, man, like I feel like there's something to this. And I've always, you know, enjoyed doing some of the design work, and I've always liked doing a little bit of everything. Of I want to be able to say the suit should look like this, have these features, do this, do that, do this, whatever. And then I also want to be able to say, somebody comes to me and say, I want a suit that's these colors, make it for me. So that's what I do, I make the suit. So that wasn't the original goal with Red 6, because I always wanted to do that down the road, but that wasn't an off-the-bat idea. Um, What it was was that I was working for another company, um, and it ended – in a very negative way. Um, if we get a few more beers in me, I might go into detail. Uh, <laughs> Just that last one right there, actually. That's yeah, all right. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll go into details. Won't name the name. Um, but it's um, it ended very poorly in a way that made me extremely unhappy, and I and it kind of soured me on a lot of things. And, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go do my own thing. Got some money put together and went and, and just. It was actually strange enough. It was leaving Machismo. Um, really? At the end of, tw- well, I guess that was 2018. Yeah. I was driving out of here and I called my wife and I went, you know what? There was a lot of people here that I saw walking around going, I need some, just talking to people, because I wasn't racing. I was like, I, you know, there's people here that were needing gloves or needing shoes or a helmet or whatever. And people were like scrambling, like, who has a clear visor? Who has a clear visor? And the light's gone down. And I didn't think ahead, even though I knew it was going to be dark. <laughs> and like, they didn't. And, and I was like, I, they, there's a market for somebody to be there being like, I got you, dude. Here, take the shield. Come pay me when you get off the track. Don't worry right. about it. Go go have fun. And I'm like, and I, so I called my wife. I'm like, hey, I'm going to start a business. And she's like, it's midnight. Okay, sure. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so she was real supportive of it. And, uh, and then she woke up the next morning. She's like, Patrick, had the most terrible nightmare. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I dreamt you were going to start a business. <laughs> and it was, it was like I had a, at the time I had a six-month-old daughter and so i'd gotten you know let go of this job with a with a basically a newborn um and i was like this is this bs like i'm i'm gonna go i'm gonna go do something i mean i'm gonna take a shot at this i'm gonna want to do this for a long time so let's let's just go take a shot at this you know so that's what we did and i found uh some retail space and bought a lot of stuff for not very much money um found like an osh hardware that was going out of business and bought all their storage racks nice they were three months old and I got them for literally pennies on the dollar. I got like a hundred thousand dollars in racks for like fifteen hundred bucks. Wow! <laughs> and that was the whole that was the whole thing. I bought like old like so I didn't know carpet tiles were a thing. Like carpet tiles? Yeah, that's carpet, but it's like a square. I did not know tile. that. Either. I know they're the coolest thing though. <laughs> I got so excited about carpet tiles when I found out about them. He's like, I did my whole house in them. You I like, spent two grand on <laughs> <in> carpet tiles. <laughs> I want the red. I but. did, um, and I want to do my garage in carpet tiles. It's the coolest things. If it gets dirty, you take that one up. They're not glued down or anything. You just throw it away and get a new one. And each one's like two bucks, and it, it adds cool. up. But I was like, that's the coolest thing. So I got these. And like I'm like, what's discontinued? And I found some that all had like a, a strip of carpet missing in the middle. He's like, take them, just the, take them. That's the kind of weathered look we're looking for here <laughs> right. at Red Six. You couldn't see. You just t- turn each one a different direction <laughs> so they don't all line up. And it was, so it was like that. So it was that was where I learned all this like, you know, let's be thrifty, let's be thrifty. Oh, it's time to buy a computer. I'm doing yeah. the, the money sign if you can't see the video. Yeah. <laughs> and the, you spent the money where it needed to be spent and you were resourceful when you had to be. Yeah, that was basically the idea. And it was, you know, um it it was really an interesting process. I went from zero to open in two months. 
um, including buying a lot of product, which gosh, dang, that adds up fast. My God, like even though you're getting a discount on the stuff because you're buying it in bulk, going direct through these manufacturers is almost impossible when you're new. So if you're like, you call up these established guys, they're like, yeah, we want a $30,000 buy-in. I'm like, yeah, okay, but you're one of 10 brands I'm going to carry. And like, yeah, well, have fun. And you're like, Ooh. right. So you start trying to work deals with them and they, they're not going to give you a line of credit to start with and, right. and all this stuff. And it's, uh, you have an uphill battle. It sounds like it's big time. It's, and so like, yeah, if you could go back, you do a million things different, just like any business. You would, what you know now, you can start a new business and spend half the money mm-hmm. and have the same result. Cause I go straight to making custom gear. I would carry very little of other people's stuff. You know, um, and but I would invest if I could invest all that same money into doing my own custom gear, I'd have 500 suits with three different, God, 30 different designs. Yeah. From like, I'd be able to pay like actual like artists to design stuff, and like I'm <laughs> like, God, why was why didn't I think of this six months ago? Right, right. right. you know. So it's um, it, you know, but I think that's every. I think if you talk to any business owner, whether it's a carding shop or you know this owner of Stilo. They'd tell you the same thing. Yeah, I would do tons of things different. Right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think every, there's, it's impossible to start a business. Nobody's going to say, I started a business, I did everything right. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. Well, going on from the uh, what you do on a day-to-day, we're obviously here on a karting podcast, but in racing in general, how did you get into racing? I mean, obviously you have the biz, and you hell, you even work in an industry that does have something to do with handling, with you know racing a bit. How, wh- where's the racing bug hit you yeah i was born with it there's there's no moment where it was where it got me or anything like that my dad was a racer his dad was a racer um my dad my my grandpa so my dad's dad was um a hot rodder back in gosh straight out of world war ii you know he was an engineer for every airplane company you can think of he was an engineer for ford aerospace so he built stuff that went into space you know um Anything mechanical, you know, that's just, mm. that's just how it, it comes from. Um, my dad was a, a hot rodder, but then got into a lot of SCCA stuff. He was on the board of directors for either Porsche Owners Club or Porsche Club of America. I don't remember which one. He uh, won um, SCCA, whatever region down it is down here, F Production Championship one year in the 60s. Um, he, he worked on a Trans Am team. Um, in the in the glory days in the late 60s you know when Roger Penske had his Camaro and later his Javelin out there with Mark Donahue um, when Bud Moore had the Mustangs my dad was in that with a kind of a privateer Camaro um, so he has firsthand accounts of all the stories of like you know the the uh, I think it was the Penske car showed up with acid dipped bodies one time and um, somebody set a cup of coffee on the roof and it fell through it <laughs> you know that kind of stuff um, so he's got all that all those kinds of firsthand accounts and riverside was like you know his home live practically lived there every, every race you say oh yeah here's a race from 1972 and the old riverside you know. speedway that used to be around right, right. yeah and, and he's like oh yeah i was there every time no matter what always i was there yeah. wow and um you know the on, on ontario which is kind of the spiritual you know precursor to to auto club you know and um so i mean it was it's it was nonstop. so for me it was never not a thing Racing was a thing from the beginning. I mean, there's pictures of me six months old sitting in a cardboard box that my dad painted like 300 ZX. He worked for Nissan at the time. Um, headlights and everything else on. So it's like literally like that was there's there was no other option. I got a Rick Mears little yard cart when I was like four and promptly parked it through a shed because yeah. it was like we're not breaking. 
you know? Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I, I wrecked that car probably five or six times, um, at least. One time I sent, um, so it has, it, it was a, like one of those fiberglass bodied, but then it was really thin metal tubes underneath it on like a plastic tub. It's kind of hard to describe. So it had, you know, the front wing like an indie car would have, and I crashed it into a wooden post, and I put the uh, metal bar that holds the wing up through my leg. And I was probably about six years old. Oh, man. So it was like my brother, like, pulls me out of the car. Like, but you got airlifted out. You basically, <laughs> yeah. Jeez. And, like, and that's just, that's just it, you know? And, and so, like, but there was never like, a, oh, that hurt. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. It's maybe I shouldn't crash, which didn't stick. That, that didn't <laughs> stick at all. Um, well, well, how are you getting? I mean, so you're, it's, it's around you and whatnot. But when's the, when, when do you start racing? What's like your first racing experience outside of crashing into small sheds? <laughs> <laughs> so the first time I drove anything real was at Adams. Like I'm sure almost everybody in Southern California. Um, well, nowadays it's K1, I guess. But back then it, right. was, it was Adams. You want to go try out a cart, it's, it's Adams. So they put me in a class when I was probably about eight, seven or eight years old, I guess. Um, I was in a kid cart, which I was probably a little bit too old for in reality. Um, and an instructor who I would love to know who it was because I'm sure he's still around. Um, and uh, it was literally like a kid cart around Adams is basically full throttle. And I'm sure it was a detuned kid cart, mm-hmm. you know, because it was like a They class. heard about your prior escapades. Right. So yeah. Like, oh, he re- mm-hmm. <laughs> can't get around the backyard. Nah, tune this guy down. How'd he get that scar? <laughs> <laughs> Two and a half horsepower. Uh, so that was literally like it, about a lap and I was like, this is too slow. And I was begging them to put me in a cadet cart, like begging them because I, there was one sitting right there. And I'm like, come on, put me like, I want to drive that one. And they're like, no, no, you, you paid for the kid cart. You're getting the kid cart. You're not ready yet. And I'm like, ah, come on. So we did that. Um, and then some point later, um, is when it got kind of real when we, um, my dad took us over to, uh, Rialto airport speedway, which was a track that was made at, at a private little airport in Rialto here in California that was an oval. So it was, a, it was a, is that the quarter midget place? You know, I think it still existed for a while and they did do quarter midgets. When I was there, it was strictly go-karts and then a thing called a, a mini stock car, which is not the same as a mini stock, um, which we got into later, which we can get into. Um, but the, the go-kart, he basically took us there and we watched the race for the day. And then, from what my recollection was, he basically saw a guy selling a go kart out of the back of his truck and hmm. said, "Yeah, I'll take it." I don't. I'm sure there was more to it than that, but yeah, that was that was what it was. And uh, it was an old, like probably a '90 or '92 bug, um, but a bug in '90 was probably no different than a bug in '78 or '80. You know, <laughs> it was not modern even by that standard. But my dad's always been of the opinion that they got to sell new chassis every year, so they always make you think your old one's no good. So they'll last a whole lot longer than you think they will. So that's and that's how we've always been. So we got that. We struck. We stuck a um, what GX two seventy or whatever six and a half horsepower Honda, the same thing that most indoor tracks run. So basically, was sport karting at that point um, with a chassis that you know there was no you weren't lifting the inside tire. You know that was you were doing it all with stagger. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, we were running that in the. They had two junior classes: a two stroke and a four stroke junior. We were running four-stroke junior, but we were winning overall. You know, we were beating the HPVs, which is what they're called at the time, uh, and the KT100s. And they were they were running pipes on the KT100s. Three and, you know, a full – some of the kids were running three and four whole cans, but some of them were running pipes, and we were beating them in the Honda. Wow. And um, it was all – they'd 
they destroy me in the, you know, down the straightaway. But by the time they caught up to my exit speed, we were on the brakes again, you know, and well, they were on the brakes. I wasn't. So that was like, we, we were coming at it from a direction of, that was one of those times where having no experience was the advantage because we weren't making all the same mistakes everybody else was. We were running like a crazy amount of stagger in the right rear. We were running like 30 pounds of air pressure because we wanted that thing to just roll. Mm-hmm. We were just trying to get no rolling resistance and because we're running these super sticky burst tires that were like just for oval racing and it was too stock for how little horsepower we had. So we were cutting down on the rolling resistance and just they would they'd get me at the end of the straightaway, but then they're on the brakes. That totally reminds me of that story I told about the uh my dad doing the endurance race. Oh yeah, yeah. And he's in the uh the Volkswagen Rabbit and everybody else got like V sixes and stuff, right? Uh-huh. And they're kicking his ass on the straightaway. But it's on a half mile, so they all have to slow down. Well, the little rabbit doesn't have to slow down. So he's passing three, four cars on the outside through the, the mm-hmm. half mile, losing one or two, getting three or four, losing yep. one or two. Nice. Same thing. It's low horsepower. It just, you know, if you can just focus on what your car's good at, you know, you don't have to go and spend all that money. I mean, and that was Rialto was like the best race that nobody's ever heard of because we were getting like 40 juniors out there. I mean, literally, like my class had like forty carts on track. Wow! And isn't a little oval? It was a yeah. It was you have forty cars. It was on probably track a, a tenth mile. Get it was out. tiny, and I mean, it was it was literally from the middle of three and four on the pace lap, too wide, to the entry of the middle of one and two was all carts. And then the adult class, the adult freaking Honda class was the most radical thing. I wish I was older so I could have raced in it because it started as stock on same engine I was running, six and a half horse. And they were getting like 40 adults all in one class. And it was just huge. And then they were like, it's too much. So we're going to split this into two classes. One stock Honda. One is do whatever the hell you want, Honda. Mm-hmm. And actually it became do whatever the hell you want, four stroke. So we had people out there with, I, I swear to God, putting 20 horsepower to the ground in their single horse, their single cylinder Hondas. One, one, um, so <laughs> this track was really heavily supported by Burris, right? Like, you know, the Burris family, every in Cardi knows, you know, the Burrises. So they had a card out there that was, I don't remember if it was confirmed or not. Cause I was like nine years old or if they were like flat, cause was, there was no rules. So they might've been outright saying, yeah, we're running on nitro methane. Yeah. Why not? Mm-hmm. He was, I remember him hammering the throttle on exit of any of the corners with those big, like eight inch wide carding slicks and just lighten them up. Like, he had enough power. Both those rear tires were going up in smoke. Wow. And they're like, yeah, it's about 20 horsepower. And I remember my dad laughing. me like, yeah, I think it's like 50. <laughs> and uh, we had developed, like, we were we had a, a kind of a theoretical design that we were starting to work on where we were going to use a smog pump off of, like, an 80s Camaro or something and use it as a supercharger um, to try to supercharge my brother. My brother raced in that class. So we were trying to figure out how to make the Honda really – kick ass so they're going to supercharge it we already had like these trick valve springs that let the thing turn like eight thousand rpm and a big old camshaft and like the thing just sounds nasty like like gnarly and he was doing he was top 10 but he wasn't like winning races and we're like well we need a little more I'm like let's supercharge it and like in hindsight we're just like just put nos on it <laughs> like that would be nos. so much easier um but that <laughs> well, was well, like about what year is this this is 99 2000 uh, and I, i'm and it, I bet there's a ton of people that were racing there that are still around and that I just don't know because I wasn't old enough. Right. You know, I'm sure that there's a lot of like the, the ongoing families that are still around, you know, that were probably out there and I don't even realize it. So your first experience as a, as a 
uh, Carter as a driver of something is is this roundy round at Rialto. Yeah. And, and how long do you do that? And then what do you do on from there? Two seasons of that. And we run the occasional race out at Apex in Paris. I ran two or three races. Is that there. Oval as well? Or is no, that, that was course? a road course. So Got it. That was the only road course. That and Adams, before Cal Speed was a thing, that was that was it. And um, I actually have a video of my first ever road course race on a VHS. Oh, cool. And um, I qualified third. Don't know how. I was running with the adults. So they weighted me up to the adults. I had like 100 and something pounds of weight on this cart. And because um, I was the only junior who showed up. And I was 10 years old. And um, 10 or 11. And um, there's video. I start like third. And going down the back straight away, I go into the tuck. And I'm like four feet tall, if that. So I'm behind the steering wheel. Like I'm underneath it. And you see me just. Before the tuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so you see me like going down the back straight away. I just poke out a line. and like, whoom. And just straight to the lead. And then I go into the next corner and just, you know, newer driver gets the lead. Like I'm racing the adults. I get the lead. Yeah. Full brakes. Just just spin it out into the weeds. Oh, man. Just You just lock up, and you're like, ah, and you don't know as a, as an 11-year-old, your first time, you're like, what's happening? I don't understand. Yeah. And, no. a, and away you go. And then uh, after that, your confidence is shot, and you're just done. So ran a couple of those. Um, and then after that, we um, got – we got. I don't remember how we, we met him, but uh, we got in, in contact with a guy named Alex DeCure, who was a uh, – he owned NASCAR Craftsman Truck Team. In when they first started in 95, 96, he had won the Mint 400, huge off-road race. Um, and now he was promoting um, a series that was called the Tri-State Mini Stock Cars, which is, if you're not familiar, it's kind of part Allison Legacy car, part Bandolero sort of. So it's a, it's a still a four-stroke Honda-powered thing, but it's the big freaking thing, probably 20-ish horsepower, like probably an industrial generator engine i guess but it has four wheel suspension but with a solid rear axle so it's got coilovers all the way around with tubular upper and lower a-arms on the front and a full tube chassis and the rear is still a solid axle like a go-kart so that's a very easy transition for me and they stick me out there zero practice <laughs> they go hey we're we rented you a car let's go run at orange show um and and go after it and first race battling for the win i don't know I don't know any better. Just go in the corner, don't lift, turn the wheel. And um, so I, at that point is in my kid brain, it was like, this is a, a this is gonna drive like a NASCAR cup car. That, that's how you drive this. So I'm battling for the lead on the I'm on the outside and the the three-time defending champions on my inside. Like the kid's unbeatable, like wins every race. So every time we go into the corner and he's got the inside, so I just drill him in the door. Just turn left and I just park my car with it in his door so he has no momentum and i come off the corner and pull him a little more can't quite clear him next corner drill him in the door and just donuts all up and down the sides <laughs> of both cars um and finally uh did a little too hard and tossed the chain off of it oh man and um so i park it in the infield and afterwards half the people are telling me that's the greatest thing they've ever seen in their lives half people are like wanting to kill this 12 year old kid and they're like, that was the dirtiest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, who do you think you are? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, well, I'm 12. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. Right. I've seen Dale Earnhardt do it. So that's what we're doing here. And so, I just lost my chain. So ease up. Right. right. <laughs> so we, we like my dad bought a, a car at that point. We, we bought, they were kind of like a kit car almost. Like when you buy like a, a kit Cobra or whatever, mm-hmm. kind of the same thing. You buy this car in, in bags and uh, you build it, which he wanted to do because he wanted us to learn about how these work mechanically. Um, so my brother and I both raced. He raced in the adult class. He's four years older than me. And then we would take his seat, or I would run in the morning 
And then we'd have to unbolt my seat, put his seat in, and change all the suspension because he's quite a bit heavier than me. So all all the springs, all the shocks, everything would change. So that would happen every race day. And um, ran pretty good first year, finished third in the championship, won a couple races, um, rookie of the year, all that good stuff. And then the next season, I don't remember. I don't know exactly what happened. My brother just – he wasn't racing anymore for whatever reason. So it was dedicated to me, and we painted the car black. Um put a white and red number on the door and three for Dale went after it. Yeah. It was a 21, which adds up to three. Uh, (laughs) Divisible by. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, we, uh, went out and, uh, it was, it was like, that was the first time that I really felt like they're here to beat me, not the other way around. I didn't feel like I was having to just kind of mind my manners or whatever. It was, I I'm come beat me. Yeah, and, and this know. is still junior stuff. At yeah, this point, at this right? point I'm 13 years old. Gotcha. This is 2001, and um, so it was like they would do a thing where they would invert the field after the first. You know, uh, we didn't qualify, so first heat. Gosh, this has been a while since I've thought about this. Um, I think we ran two heat races. First heat was random P pick, and then they would invert the finishing order for heat two. Um, the track down in El Cajon in San Diego. Um, I I led every lap of the season, including the inverts. Wow. Um, on those. So I would, uh, I literally would get the lead within one lap every time on the inverts. Wow. And I mean, I spun out a lot of people to do it. Um, really? It, it was, you just, I mean, I never turned anyone on intentionally, but I'd get in there and I'd rattle the cage and they'd, and some of them lost it. You know? So you, you I, are literally Dale Earnhardt in this conversation <laughs> right now. I didn't, I just, I just meant to rattle this cage. I didn't mean to loop him. You know? I.e., uh, I never did Labonte. anything yeah. except hit him in the rear bumper. I never quarter paneled anybody. I never drove across their nose like that and hit them. It was I hit him in the rear on a track that should be flat out. I was never lifting on this track, even when I was by myself. And I hit him in the rear. If they didn't hold on to it, they didn't hold on to it. Not my problem. So we did great there. At Orange Show, we did reasonable. Those were the only two tracks we ran at as juniors. We couldn't run Irwindale for insurance reasons or whatever. Won the championship walking away that year. Um, and then we went straight from that into a mini stock car, um, which is not the same mini stock car. This is the what they run it like the it's not a pony either. It's it's a mini stock, I guess. I think I've seen those. Uh a person I used to coach, Jessica Dana, her uh she did it for a second and her her dad had one or was renting one or whatever. It's literally like a the scale is wrong. I was going to say like eight scale NASCAR. Oh, sort of. So it's kind of like that, but with a good check, it's not the Honda that you're talking about. It's got good power. I want to say a smaller motorcycle engine or something like that. So these are a little different than that. These are kind of like a pony stock, but these are an actual car. So what we're running is we run an 84 Mustang and it has a 2.3 liter four cylinder. A lot of people run Pintos in it, but you were allowed to run any four cylinder car as long as it was well, the rule started you could run any four-cylinder car. Right. That is different, yeah. We showed up with a, a, a SVO Mustang, which is a Turbo Mustang. And uh, they did not take kindly to that at all. Um, so we took we had to take Turbo off. Um, we're still pretty competitive, but the car was just too heavy for a little quarter-mile um, short track. There was this, a Honda CRX that just kicked everyone's ass. Back to that rabbit conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, it was – you learn real quick that racing at Orange Show – and a lot of short tracks, if yeah, they don't care, you're 14 years old, and they'll just wreck you. Like it's not running into the back. Kind of like old Patty, uh, Patty B at the uh, the previous track. <laughs> they weren't just running into the back of you. They would drive. They would if you passed them, 
you better make sure you're clear of their nose before you go in the next corner because they would just hook that left front right into your right rear quarter panel and try to turn you head on in the fence. I mean, and you're going maybe 50, 60 miles an hour at apex, but there's no brakes on these things hardly. They don't stop, and there's no tire. You're running treaded tires, you know, so it's – um. Um, it, that one was a, we ran that for only a season cause it was like, we were just tearing stuff up and it was not, we did not view that as anything close to an actual competition in a sense of, they was just who could run into each other the best. And like I said, it wasn't like you'd get to their bumper and move them out of the way. It was straight up. They would just wreck you. Mm. And, um, it's like the old bomber class they got now. Pretty, there, it's, right? It was four cylinder bombers is really what it was. So we went straight to that from that to, um, an ASA speed truck which is a tube chassis, small block Chevy, V8, 400-something horsepower. It's a race car. It's so correct me if I'm wrong, but aside from your your brief moments at Paris, you've pretty much been roundy round in more car-esque yep. type stuff, oval stuff this entire time. I had never – I had road raced twice in my life when I got into sport karting. Um, that, that was it. I did not know anything about road racing at all. Wow. Um, I mean, I watched it, watched Formula One, any car, but I was a NASCAR guy growing up, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we got in the speed trucks, and that was more oval racing. That was, again, got back to the gentleman I talked about earlier, Alex DeCure, who got who was organizing that mini stock series. He ran several trucks in the in the speed trucks. Um, his son, who was an accomplished driver and was a instructor out here, actually, when they used to do the IndyCar experience, he was an instructor here, um, and... Uh, he had a few trucks, so we bought one from him. And that was one of those things where we were okay until I wrecked the first time. And then we fixed it, you know, the way that made sense. And the setup was never right again. Oval racing setup is so horrendously different than what you would expect anything to be that we were just always chasing our tail. For right. four years, we were just chasing our tail, chasing our tail. And we would have just little silly issues like because our chassis was a little different than everybody else because we had one of the earliest ones so it was kind of like a prototype almost and after the crash it was custom yeah i mean and they clipped it you know cut the front end off and put a new one on and um we had an issue at one point where we figured out that when we're going through the corner and the suspension loaded it would the top the, the like the bottom of the coil over perch would then sit down on the frame and then it was cone shaped so as it went through the corner it would slide off and it would un- suddenly unload all the suspension. And it was just causing me to just loop with no notice at all. We- and for we ran it six months like that. And we had no idea what was going on. I'd be driving fine. And then you take the corner a little bit different. And it would just sit on there. And I'd never felt it. And all of a sudden, you're backwards. Jeez. And you're like, and we just couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. Kept making setup changes, making it worse in reality. Because then once we figure it out, now you got to start all over. So it was like just that for years um, and you, you said for four years you did. So you did the truck for a bit. Yeah, we ran two full seasons. We ran a partial season the first year, two full seasons, and then another partial, I believe, if memory serves. So that was when I was a teenager. I was like 15 when we started, and I stopped when I was 19. Um, and we weren't we, we were going to keep after it. Um, I mean, if I could go back, I probably would have ran a Legends car or something mm-hmm. and taken a little intermediary step. Um, but that series had TV coverage, and, you know, they make it, you know, this, the, the drivers are, are kind of, they need car count, you know? So they make it sound like it's, yeah, you're going to get sponsors, no problem. And you're going to have, you know, 500,000 viewers every race and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and that's all true, but from a driver development standpoint, it was absolutely the wrong decision, you know, in hindsight, 
Um, but it, it, it was, um, it's what we thought was the right decision. And, but the thing is, nobody, nobody came out of that series. Nobody that I'm aware of ran anything more than a race or two and went on to do anything. I think there's a couple people who dabbled in it, but. And, and what years are you running this? Um, 2004 through 2007. Got it. Or so this is after like, we had talked to Cameron. He had done the ASA trucks. This is after Cameron was so, out. Strangely enough, I've driven Cameron's truck before he oh, owned re- it. Yeah. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. So I got out of it the year he started. So he bought. I thought he did. Oh no, I, he did. I had my uh, dates wrong. I yeah. think he got into it in 07, and I got out of it in 07. But we never crossed paths. They started like middle point. I I got out in the middle of it. So it's <laughs> like literally we missed each other by a little bit. Gotcha. Um, but his truck was actually a, a kind of a faux teammate to mine, where we had a similar. We had the same guy kind of helping us out as sort of a quote unquote crew chief. Um, And so we, one point I swapped seats with another driver because we were like, my truck was undrivable loose. And they're like, man, like it's not like the setup's the same. And I'm like, I'm telling you, my truck's undrivable. Like I cannot get this thing around the racetrack. I got in his truck, picked up half a second and would have been on pole by three tenths. He got in my truck, spun it out first corner and we're like, there's something up with the truck. Like it's, it's, there's something going on. Is this when you find out that it's cattywampus? Yep. That was what led to the deep dive into it. Um, so it was, it, it was one of those things where it was a spec series, but there was a lot of differences throughout the years. And that was one of those political things. You know, it's one of those things you find out later, you know, we're building a hot rod, you know, old muscle car and we're getting some machine work done on it. And we're at an engine shop. And uh, we look down at some of the engines lining up, and I see one that has a driver's name from that other series. I'm like, oh, what a coincidence. He's building a hot rod, too. He's like, I don't know. It's for, it's for some race car or something. Like, oh, yeah? To tell you things? Like, I don't know. It's like some kind of truck. I never heard of a race truck. But we're doing this and that. And I'm like, uh-huh. The spec series with sealed engines, and it's in here getting, you know, bigger cam, whatever, doing yeah. some head work. And you're like, yep. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, and that's just one of those things like that. That's racing at every level. You know, I don't, I don't care what, if you're kid carts, it happens, you're in cup cars, it happens. You know, that's, there's how many people talk about, you know, you like with world formulas, for example, back in the day, you'd buy 10 of them, dyno them if you had the provisions and then pick the best one and sell the other nine, you know, money wins races, even if you're in a spec series. Yeah. I mean, and granted world formula is not spec, but yeah, the the point is the same is that, yeah, everything's going to have margins and whatnot for mm -hmm. sure, for sure. What was the transition? Why did you guys stop doing cars? I mean, you were, what, late teens, early 20s? Yeah, late teens. I was about 17 or so-ish. Um, it started to get a little expensive because I was – the reason we were doing half seasons because I kept tearing the truck up. Um, and it would take us – we are a team of three, and it took us a while to fix it. So that was wearing thin. Um, there was also just a lot of frustration on my part because I was not winning races at all. I was barely running competitive. Um, and then my dad actually, uh, was diagnosed with throat cancer. Um, so it was, um, he never at any point said, Hey, let's stop racing or we can't afford to do this anymore. Um, it was, I said, no, I, I know how expensive this is, even though you, you guys won't tell me, you know, they never said that hey, this is really expensive, but I, I right. knew, you know, I knew what the stuff costs and all that. And I was fortunate enough that we, we had some sponsors, but you know, I was really fortunate that my parents were able to kind of float it for a long time. Um, and up until the speed truck, it wasn't, I don't think it was that big of a deal, but the speed truck took things to a whole new level. So when that happened, I said, no, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not having any fun. So why, why do it? Let's, Roughly what years that if you don't mind? This is, this is, give me an idea where we're at. 
you know what? I guess this, I think I was off earlier. I guess this is beginning of 06. Um, yeah, I was a year off earlier. It was okay. beginning of 06. Um, because Kaylee and I met at the end of 05 and she went to one speed truck race. Gotcha. Uh, where I promptly dropped a cylinder, ran on seven cylinders all race. Kaylee being your wife. My wife, yeah, yeah, Kaylee. Actually, she went, yeah, no, that was it. That was that was it. She should have gone to the previous one where I finished ninth on three wheels. That was cool. That was my only speed truck memory that's positive. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, I, I don't see how that's positive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, finished, yeah. I finished ninth out of 30 on three wheels, Derek. All right, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> and I started 29th. A VHS or it didn't, didn't count. I oh, nice. That one wasn't televised. <laughs> of course it wasn't. So uh, so you had a rough time with things in the uh, in the truck deal. So you, and, and unfortunately, your, your your pops gets the the bad diagnosis there, and yeah, and then you guys you, you basically make the call that a hey, let's hit pause on this thing if nothing else. Yeah, and you know I I think there was actually almost some disappointment um, from the rest of the family because I think everybody liked doing it, but I was just like, this isn't free, you know. And my dad had to retire, you know, was the big thing. He he worked at car dealerships and and made a pretty good living, but you know, overnight, literally had to retire. And all of a sudden, he's living off of what they had saved and the retirement, but retirement is going to run out at some point or whatever. Yeah. Don't need to get into all that. Um, and then so I didn't race anything for, for a few months and because I, I was over it. I was like, racing is stupid. I hate racing. This is it, you know it was just way more stressful for you at that point. It was stu- yeah. And it was like I kept thinking like, man, if I were good at baseball or I was good at football, my talent would have got me there. You Dude, know? I've had that thought so many times. <laughs> I'm like, man, if I had been good at a normal sport, at least you know where you actually stand. That, but I'm like, oh, it could have been so much cheaper for right. me and my parents. Yeah. Like, I would feel so less bad about me trying to go a race. Yeah, and then I the ask truth. you, just think if you were actually good at karting. <laughs> oh, hey. oh. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was a loft. I <laughs> uh, no, you know, it's, I always feel yeah. like, let's say you're good, let's say you're really good at football as a kid, right? And you go peewee and high school, you're a starter and you get to college and you're mediocre. Well, at least you know, you know, you know, hey, my talent got me that far. Yeah. At the end of the day, your your Mm. physical attributes, what you're able to do and your physical skills, no one's buying it more. They may want it more, maybe they do more practice, what have you, right? or maybe they're physically more capable, but you never have that little thing in the back of your head saying, I got outspent, or I had the better, you know, I didn't have as good of uh, opportunities or what have you. That's the truth. And in racing, it's a little controversial, but the reality is nobody knows how good of a driver they actually are. Very, very few people actually know how good they are. Because you're not, there's so many variables in racing. That's part of its charm, you know, because being a great driver only gets you so far. You got to know how to tune it a little bit. You got to know how to give feedback. You got to know how to adapt, which arguably that's part of driving, but it's also kind of not, you know? So it's like, you got to have all these different things. Being a pure driver only gets you so far. Yeah. And there's some amazing pure drivers in sport karting, for example, that do well, but then next race, they're not so good. You know, but they have all the talent in the world, but the rest of it's not there. Right. You know, and um, well, so that's f- why, like, sorry, but you see so many of these um, scholarship programs where mm-hmm. now it's not only driving on the track, but you have to, you do a right. day of media mm-hmm. and you do, do a day of working with the engineers. At and the stuff. end of the day, it is a job and you have to do your part of it when you're not in the seat. Yeah. You know, and that's right. It's, it's at, money. At the end of the day, a driver's replaceable. If you think about an NFL quarterback, they are not replaceable. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, yeah, there's a million people that would love to take their seat. They can't do it. Right. You know, the guy riding the bench ain't as good as you. In a go-kart, if all of a sudden a, a spot opens up, they're going to find somebody who they can put in there that's going to, with very few exceptions, 
If they have their pick of anybody, they can go just as fast as you. And there's going to be that guy that has more money than you too. Mm-hmm. That can you know pay that team a little bit more. Yeah, and I mean nothing. None of this is groundbreaking. Everybody knows this, right? You know, and maybe some people choose to ignore it, but it's the it's the truth. So I got over all that stuff. I was just done with racing, and I was like, I don't. I wasn't even watching racing. I just I did not care. I was like, this is this is just I, and whatever. I don't care anymore. So um, then. You know, a couple months later, my brother actually got a job at Droma One as their mechanic. And um, Droma One being the uh, used to used to be around indoor track here in SoCal uh, off Catella, I believe it was yeah, in Orange, right next to uh, you know Honda Center where the Ducks play and all that stuff. Um, so right, you know, actually right in my backyard. I live about five minutes from the track. I'd gone there a few times just playing around and arriving drives. It was the only gas track and by far the best gas track in the in all of Southern California, if not the whole Southwest. Um, it's long since gone away now, gone out of business. So I, my brother got a job there as a mechanic. Um, and I didn't know any of the people there or anything like that, but it was, he kept saying like, yeah, you should come run the leagues. You should come in the leagues. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you'll have fun with it. And I'm like, nah, I don't, I don't really want to. So finally one day, um, he goes, Hey, a spot just opened up in the league tonight. It's like a Tuesday night. It says come race and they run these once a month it's not a weekly thing this is like their races they ran one season a year one champion a year like mm-hmm. races are they sell out they got like 40 people which is a lot for an indoor wow game. yeah and um that one then he said hey a spot just opened up and gm here brad um said he'll save you the spot brad packard brad packard who used to who then became the gm i guess of cal speed yeah he ended up he was the gm here before um, left, yeah i didn't know what his actual title was uh he was pre-mike mike um, <laughs> second to Rob. Yeah, right. Yeah. Back when there was like three people working here, it was yeah, like exactly. Rob, Bob, and Brad. Uh, <laughs> so they saved me a spot, and I showed up and didn't. I knew, obviously I'd been there, and I show up in my Nomex and my you know helmet and all that stuff. It's painted, and um, and I didn't know anybody. I didn't. Even, I didn't even make an attempt at getting to know anybody. Didn't care. I was there. I'm there to win. Um, don't remember much of the race at all, except that I finished second in the C main. There were five mains. So it was an E main. Um, and I finished second in the C main on just knocking the rear bumper off of the guy in front of me, um, who later found out I got to know after a time, his name was Efren Oliveras. Um, and he was doing this thing where he would not run the heat races and he would start in the lowest main and try to make his way into the A by, cause if he won each main, you would move on to the next one. Right. So he was trying to go from E to A. So he, uh, the thing the, the kicker there though, is they had qualifying before every main. So he could win the E, qualify, start on pole of the D, win that, qualify, start on pole of the C. So I qualified second in the C, and then he um, was a guy that everybody expected to win, and I just was on his rear bumper knocking his bumper off, and we gapped the rest of the field. And after that, I had a couple people come up and be like, man, that was BS. You sh- he shouldn't have been. Th- that's not fair, because he was like multiple-time race winner or whatever. I didn't care. I was like, whatever. If he wants to do it, I don't, yeah. I don't care. I should have beat him. Like, I'm not here to win the C main. I'm here to beat all of you. You know, so I don't care who beat me. Everyone's I just know like, someone beat I, me. I already don't like this guy. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> Carried a lot of humble. Yeah. I had a lot of humility coming from the uh the Ask stuff. anyone who raced at Droma <laughs> what their first opinion of me was, and they will tell you they didn't like me. Yeah. He'll even You were that guy with the painted helmet. Straight up. And he would fake losing his head. Yeah. In an enduro. Yeah. Didn't fake it. Uh, <laughs> ask him. Eventually, you'll have John Cambrell on the show, I'm sure. Ask him. Ask him what his opinion of me when he first met me, and he'll he'll be honest with you. Because I know 
what that answer is. It's the same of all of ours. Until <laughs> <laughs> this day. And so, <laughs> so you go in here, you're doing the league thing. First time, uh, you do not win the overall. You don't win the C. Nope. Yeah, I finished basically straight up mid-pack. And um, But my lap times, you know, I always, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't have come back the next month because I knew he was one of the top guys because he then went on to win the B and then finished like fourth in the A. And I went, dude, must be good. Right. So I went, I'm as fast as him. I was just knocking his rear bumper off. It was just bad luck why I didn't beat him. Well, so I'm going to come back and I'm going to win next month. So if that hadn't happened, I give him credit because A, I did learn a lot behind him. I learned how to drive Dromo because Dromo had these idiosyncrasies of being very loose. It was like a drifty track. Mm-hmm. So it, And I was like, oh, okay. It's like dirt. Got it. All right. Well, let's drive it like dirt. Which, keep in mind, I'd never driven dirt before. <laughs> but, but I knew what the idea was. This is like right? the little, little uh, you where you, oh, it's just like a cup car. Just drive it like an ass car. Yeah. That's all you got to do. It's a, a whole lot of just <laughs> gung-ho, let's go for it. It's been my whole racing life. Um, so next month I show up, and uh, I don't remember much of the specifics, but I finished third overall, third in the A. Wow. Behind um, Clement um, Ng is how you pronounce NG for some reason, um, who be, he, he came and raced at Cal Speed for a little while, but not too much. And then, um, gosh, the other he was a, kind of a kid. And then he he raced competition carts. Um, Jeremy Kane, I think was oh, his wow. name. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but he was pretty good way little Kane. at the time. He was about nine years old at the time. Gotcha. They did not run weight at Dromo, by the way. <laughs> um, and the three of us were nose to tail. And um, they had like an announcer and stuff. And That's so cool. And he comes out and he's interviewing us on the podium. And he goes, man, like that's one of the best races I've ever seen here at Dromo. And I'm like, we were single file the whole race. And he's like, yeah, but like anybody makes a mistake, you're going to pass him. And I'm like, yeah, all right, sure. If that's the criteria, again, coming from an oval standpoint. Yeah, yeah. And I'm and I'm. And I'm, he's talking to me on the podium and whatever. And there's probably 40 people there still, which is, you know, pretty decent little crowd for an indoor race. And I'm like, yeah, um, you know, we don't know who you are. You know, what's your background? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll race a bunch of stuff, whatever. And he's like, what's your goals for us this year? I'm like, well, you know, win a few more races this year. And they're like, what? Who is this guy? Yeah. And uh, so I walk off the podium and um, guy walks right up to me and shakes my hand. And he says, man, that was you don't realize what you just accomplished. This is a lot harder than you think it is. And I'm like, eh, you know, it's not that hard. Um, and he's like, you, you don't realize how many people try to race here for a long time and never touch that. And some very accomplished drivers never touch that podium. And I'm kind of like, I, I kind of wanted to be like, what the heck? But then I'm like looking at him, I'm like, he's telling me the truth. Like this guy's- He's not jerking your chain. Yeah, he's not like blowing smoke. He's not trying to bring me down a peg. He's being straight up with me. Um, and that was Dennis Kimbrell, who I was talking <laughs> to. And uh, he's like, and at that point, keep my John was not, he was a decent driver, but he wasn't like kicking everybody's butt at this point. Right. You know, I think he'd won maybe one or two races, certainly been on the podium a couple of times, but was not the John that we know now in sport karting. And I'm like, okay, weird. Okay. And I didn't really know what to think of that. So that was race, I think race four of the season. I had missed the first two rounds. Um, Ran, they had 10 race season, I think. I ran six or seven more races, made the A main one more time that year. And I finished like seventh in that one. And I'm like, man, what is going on here? Yeah. You know? And I, I couldn't figure it out. And it was, you know, and I felt like I was still driving the same, but it was like, what I didn't realize was that you could not drive every cart the same way. You know, that was the, that was the wake up call of these are not set up to you and they are not as even, not in the speed sense of even, but they're not all exactly the same. They may mm-hmm. all be built at the same time, 
but they're not. You can't build forty carts that are identical. You just you just can't. You, they could can be all made by the same dude at the same time. They're not the same, and they ought to be driven differently. And they did a great job of equalizing carts there, as far as an indoor track is concerned. They're within about half a second, which is killer for an indoor track. Um, and uh, but I was then I realized I'm like you got to drive this one this way and that one that way and whatever. Um, so that was that was that, and then the next season it started clicking again. Um, won like four races and finished. Um, the finale of that season is actually a pretty good story um, because basically I'm, I entered the, the finale second in points to a guy named Mike Kai, who, who also raced ASA speed trucks, but after me. So he ran it with Cameron. Mm-hmm. Um, he was his first year in them. He comes up and wins his first race. He shows up first time and wins the AMA. And I'm like, oh, no. Uh-uh. No way. And um, – so he he kicks ass the first three or four races of the season, but then everybody starts kind of getting back to him, and he starts kind of coming back to us a little bit. So going into the final race, it's me versus him. Basically, I'm like six points back um, for the championship, and I I qualify third in the A main. He qualifies on pole. I needed to beat him by four spots to win the championship. However, the points math worked out there. So him and the guy in second actually start driving away from me, and I'm like, oh crap, what the heck? They both crash. Steering shaft deep into the tires. Oh man! And I'm like, looking at him, like, holy crap! Like, all right. So I'm like, head down, and I'm just like, purple, 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 lap after lap after lap after lap, and just literally lap up to fifth place in this, you know, twenty lap indoor track, like just laser focused. Well, he got pushed out of the tires and continues on, coming onto the white flag lap. He's one spot out of the clinching spot. We were. Him and I were on the same team, and we also had another driver that was on the same team with us who didn't know anything except for he's racing for the championship. He's behind me. I better get out of his way. So he gets out of the way on the last lap and lets him pass, and that wins in the championship by, like, one point. Man. And I'm, like, sitting in my helmet just, like, beyond upset. Like, like, what are you doing? Like, why would you get out of the way? Like. And but he's like, I don't know, it was for fourth. Who cares? And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and th- that was uh so that was that next couple of years were, you know, whatever. Droma goes away. Um, but after by that point I'd become friends with all these guys and so many people that maybe aren't racing anymore. And you kind of brushed off the the former egomaniac, if you will, the kind of yeah. big chip on the shoulder and become a little bit more of part of the community, part of the Dromo whites, if you will. Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, um, I, I think it wasn't a conscious decision to do anything different, but it was kind of more of a, these guys aren't a bunch of scrubs. You know, these aren't, these aren't a bunch of nobodies that are just good at their local indoor track. These are guys that race sports cars. These are, some of them are professional drivers. You know, Craig Stanton was a regular out there, you know, a former, former IMSA, you know, or I guess it wasn't IMSA at the time, but it was uh, the the NASCAR version of IMSA, whatever that was called back then. Grand, Grand Am. Am. Thank you. Uh, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah. Former Grand Am prototype champion, you know, like guys that could drive, you know, Pat Long would come out there and, and play every once in a while. And these guys who were, you know, top level, Alan Shuto, you know, Indy Lights, you know, was Indy Lights or Formula Atlantic? I guess it was Atlantic. It was Atlantic. Yeah. yeah. Which, funny, fun fact, Alan and I went to school together for six years in the same class. Neither of us knew the other one raced. Oh, wow. Yeah. Since middle school, all through high school, we were in a bunch of classes together. We're friends. Never knew each other race. That actually doesn't <laughs> surprise me a whole bunch because I found out after getting out of school uh, that some of the kids that I was around were also 
into racing or did racing and stuff like that. Oh wow! It was just not something that it was kind racing of taboo. Wasn't popular in nineties. Yeah. yeah, like I remember when I showed up uh, and. Shame on me for doing this, but I'd have the Rainbow Warriors friggin' Jeff Gordon jacket on. Yikes. That was not a good idea. But I loved racing. Yeah. I liked NASCAR, et cetera. That kind of, that's what I was doing. But I was the few and far between. There was not many that actually would flaunt <laughs> their their racing uh, fandom. You know, the funny thing is I actually drove my race truck to school once um, and, park, <laughs> and parked it on the field. Um, <laughs> um, and Alan still had no idea. I think he wasn't. <laughs> I don't think he gave a crap what was happening out there. I think he was probably doing his own thing because we, we weren't like real, real good friends. I mean, we certainly, you know, he, he definitely, you know, wrecked me in basketball a few times. Had a little bit of a height advantage. I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> I was very short. <laughs> like, I'm not still not tall, but I was very short. Um, but yeah, no, it just never came up, you know. And then literally one day, he raced at Dromo also, but before I started racing there. So I still didn't know he was a Dromo Grand Prix you, champion. You never cross paths. Yeah. Just never cross paths. He was when we were in high school. He won like the Dromo championship. Never knew. And um, then I come up a few years later, and I think it was at Long Beach when he was racing Atlantic Car, and finished second to Simona De Silvestro. Oh and I'm wow! Like, Hold on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I totally recognize that name. <laughs> I'm like, that's not a common name. Uh, do you have the science homework? Because you're getting pulled <laughs> away in the crowd. <laughs> and uh, I still, I, I think we've. Run, cross paths here 50 times and just okay, okay. small world man. how long we go right small yeah world. all right guys that was part one of the full caster podcast episode seven with patrick Britton. be sure to catch part two as well <laughs>